This Sunday is um, Father's Day, so I'd like all my dads to get on your feet. Guys, let us see you, all my dads. Let's give them a big hand. All right. Yep. Awesome. All the dad wannabes, give me a wave right here. All righty. All righty. Cool deal. I hate I miss that. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, I know uh, we had a sort of a long video tonight, but that one was okay to be a little long, wasn't it? Can I tell you that we've got another one for you because of um, the passion and the um, vision of our youth pastor, our student ministries pastor, Jared Grantham, who you've all seen him lead worship here at the bridge. He's also our youth pastor. And... Um, he led our, our kids and a team of adults uh, to reach out to um, a family in need. And uh, my son Mitch took the footage and made us a little video tonight. And um, I just think it would be wrong. We're gonna, it's Youth Sunday at the Whitley Church Sunday. And we're going to show this video. But I wanted you to see this video. And so we're going to show that to you right now and then right after that the message. Okay? Let's watch this video. Took on about 10 weeks ago a thing called T3 Challenge, and it just challenges us to use our time, our talent, and our treasure. And uh, it's a curriculum that we got with our small groups. And um, so for six weeks, we began to plan to uh, to bless a family and um, just kind of make an impact as a church. And so what we did is we contacted social services, and um, this happened to be a family. Kind of the story behind it is um, there's seven kids, and the uh, the dad the dad is not here and the uh, mom was in a severe car wreck that caused her to be brain damaged. And so she is uh, in a nursing care. So they took all seven kids on, the grandparents did. And uh, I mean, it's a three bedroom house and you guys have seen a little bit of what it looks like. But um, what happened was the granddad, um, who was military and uh, I'm not sure exactly where he worked, had a stroke and um, now is paralyzed and, and kind of stuck in a wheelchair. And uh, so here, the grandma who works part time is um, taking pretty much taking care of the kids on her own. And there's an eight, a nine, a ten, a twelve, and a sixteen year old, and they all live here with the grandparents and just barely uh, make enough to, to get by. And um, so we're hoping that as a church, as a small group, uh, do what God's called us to do—to be the church, to reach out to people when they need help. We story starts in 2007 
In 2007, my grandchildren's mother had a terrible accident. She was involved in an accident at the main gate to the base, and she had a heart attack. She died on the spot. She was clinically dead, and the base personnel from the fire department and the hospital came out and revived her. Then when she came out of a coma, she was at a mind of a 12-year-old. And so we brought the children into the house here, and we were taking care of her kids. She had six kids. In December of 2007, I had a major stroke. They gave me up for dead, but my Lord had other things. My Lord wanted me to stay, and that's what I did. I came out of the coma, and my wife said, Bay, say, you still here? I said, yes, I'm still here. And ever since then, I have been paralyzed because the stroke was so bad that it crippled me. And now I'm paralyzed, I can't walk. And this was just a blessing right here. I, I told my wife, I said, babe, look how good the Lord is. This is my God at work. He's a tremendous God. He's a wonderful God. He's the Lord of my Lord, King of my King. He's my Alpha, he's my Omega, and I do anything for the Lord. And I know the Lord will do anything for us.
Yeah, baby. Mm. See, that's where my heart is. Mm. I love it when we come in here. I love it when we do what we're doing tonight, but it ain't about this. It's about that. It is about that. And being Jesus. You can go and preach Jesus all you want to, but if a man's hungry, you got to feed him first. He can't hear your message until you feed him, until you take care of his wounds. What a great, um, great video and so proud of Jared and Amanda and what they're doing for our church and for our kids. And uh, just thank God for them, okay? Let me suck it up and get it together here. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. That's what I want the heart of this church to be, man. I'm telling you. If you wonder, if you wonder ever what my vision and my passion is, it is to be Jesus, to be Jesus. I, uh, I found a quote this week. Some of y'all may have seen it. I put it on Facebook. Um, it said, what's wrong with most churches is that we love to have the barn dance, but nobody wants to go work in the field. And you got to go work in the field. The barn dance is great. Love the barn dance. Amen? Love it. But you got to go get that harvest in. Then you can come and celebrate. That's why so many churches today, their celebrations are empty. I, hey, listen, I've been a pastor that pastored like that. But God has turned my heart. And I understand that we have no right to celebrate till we have gone out and worked that harvest and brought those people in. We're so glad y'all are here tonight, and I know it's kind of tight. You're kind of packed in tight tonight, and I appreciate you being willing to sit like that. Um, as, you, as you sit there like that, think about people around the world who have no air conditioning, and it's much hotter there than it is here, and they sit on the floor, and the, the bottom of the place where they worship is dirt. And... Uh, here I go again. Um, so be thankful. Be thankful. Amen. Um, we're in a series on the last days. Hey, did Mitchell Grantham do a great job last week for you? Wasn't that great? I'm telling you, boy. Hey, guys, he's got a lot of knowledge up there in that noggin of his. Ain't much hair on it, but he sure knows a lot of stuff. And we love Mitchell, and he's a great teacher. Let's look in Genesis tonight. As we continue um, the message that I have for you, Mitchell will be back and he'll be sharing some more with you this summer. Um, but let's look at this story of Enoch tonight in Genesis 5, verses 21 through 24. And I know it may sound strange to think that we're talking about the last days and we're starting at the front of the book. Because, you know, the book that talks about the last days is at the back of the book. I got to tell you something, uh, guys, you can really find something about the last days in, I don't, I've never heard this said, but I'm about to say it, probably in every book of the Bible, there's some reference or type or picture of the end times, the last days. The Orthodox Jew, they tell me, um, many of them stand on their tiptoes and look across the horizon several times a day 
as they wait for the Messiah to come the first time because they do not believe he has come the first time. Of course, we know Jesus was, is, and will forever be Messiah, so we know he has come the first time. But it is our responsibility to stand on our tiptoes and look for him to come the second time. Jesus is coming again. And uh, we're going to talk about that and preach about that uh, because we would do you an injustice if we did not. And uh, this church would not be a balanced church. And I'll tell you something that, um, that, uh, that concerns me a little bit, and it's not a criticism, it's just a concern, is that I see churches that are trying to be relevant, and we want to be relevant. But in being relevant, sometimes we leave out some of the most important doctrines and theologies and teachings of the Bible. Um, I believe that we can preach on any topic in the Bible and make it relevant. Here's how relevant it is to you. He's coming back and you better be ready. That's pretty relevant right there. That gets down where you live, don't it? So are you? Are you ready? Have you accepted Christ into your heart? Because it is not your goodness. It's not your good deeds. It is not being a good man that makes you one of God's people. Being a good person and being God's people, a God, one of God's children, isn't the same thing. And um, it's important that you understand that. So let's talk about the end times and let's talk about it from the book of Genesis as we talk about this man named Enoch. The Bible says in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, when Enoch was 65 years old, his son Methuselah was born. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived another 300 years in close fellowship with God. And after he had lived 300 years, he had other sons and daughters. He is the man. <laughs> Come on, guys. Ooh, yeah. Enoch is the man. Verse 23, Enoch lived 365 years in all. He died a young man, really, he did. He died a young man back in that day because his son Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. Actually, Enoch didn't die. The Bible says in verse 24, he enjoyed a close relationship with God throughout his life. Then suddenly, he disappeared because God took him. We're breaking this message up into three sections. The first section is Enoch and his times. Enoch and his times. In other words, Enoch and the time he lived in, the setting of the time that he lived in. And then we'll talk about next week, Enoch and his testimony. And then Enoch and his translation, okay? But tonight, I want to lay some more groundwork as it relates to Enoch and his times. Why is it important to understand the times in which Enoch lived? And here's why. Because Enoch, I believe, is a picture and a prophecy of what, or, or Genesis 5 and in the times of Enoch, are a picture and a prophecy of what the times will be like for us when we are taken away. Enoch was taken away. Well, you have to ask yourself, why? I mean, God doesn't just do tricks. You remember when Jesus 
was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan came to him and tried to get him to do tricks. He said, if you're the son of God, you know, jump down from the pinnacle of the temple and you'll come floating down. Angels will catch you and you'll come floating down. And he wanted Jesus to appeal. He wanted to appeal to that uh, uh, part of Jesus, the pride. But Jesus wouldn't do it. Every time, and this is important for you to remember, off the subject, but very important. In temptation, how did Jesus win the temptation? Do you understand from your pastor tonight that temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. It is only a sin when you give in to that temptation. It becomes a sin in your life. Jesus was tempted and he won the battle of temptation through the scriptures. Every time Satan tempted him, he said three words. What? It is written. And that's why it is so important that we have the word of God in us because it is a weapon in your hand. Praise is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. And the word of God is a mighty, mighty sword and weapon in your hand. We were walking in tonight and a beautiful young couple was coming up and they both had big Bible. I love people with big Bibles. I love big Bibles and I cannot lie. I love... <laughs> just came out. Let us be dismissed. They have Bibles that look like Sears and Roebuck catalogs. I love that. I love it. Love people that have their Bible. They're not ashamed of their Bible. They, they need their Bible. They, they use their Bible because it is a weapon. It is a weapon. So Enoch and his times, the reason we need to study that is because there is a reason why God just looked down and plucked Enoch off the earth like a flower and brought him up to heaven. He raptured him, he caught him up, he translated him from the earth to heaven. But he didn't do that to do a trick. I believe he did that to say, hey, bridge church, Look at what the times were like in Enoch's day and understand that when your times get like that, I'm gonna pluck you out of the earth as well. But why Enoch? The Bible says he enjoyed a close relationship with God throughout his life. Enoch didn't make it to heaven because he was a good man. He made it to heaven because of his relationship with God. And the only way you can have a relationship with God is through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. There is no, Jesus said, there is no way to the Father but by me. And the Father is in heaven. So he could have said, there is no way to heaven but by, and I know, listen, I know what the world's telling you and I, I know what the liberal agenda's telling you and I know, you know, Oprah and I know what they're saying and they're telling you, you know, there are many ways to God, many ways to heaven and it sounds good but it's not true. Jesus is the way to heaven. Relationship with God and the only way we can have that is through Jesus. 
After the sin of Adam and Eve, there was a great falling away and a great apostasy that came just before Enoch was called up. Three things about his times I want us to notice. So we're under the first heading of Enoch and his times. Three things about his times I want us to know. We talked about this one two weeks ago. Enoch's time was one of social permissiveness. Social permissiveness. We were introduced in Genesis 4 to a man named Lamech. You remember Lamech? We observed pride in Lamech's life. And you can listen to this message online if you missed it. Just go to our website. It's right there. We observed his pride as he bragged about his violence, as he bragged about murder, as he lusted. It's all in there. Why did the Holy Spirit record this? Why did the Holy Spirit talk about Lamech? The Bible doesn't say anything else about Lamech after that. It just talks about Lamech right there in Genesis chapter 4. Because I believe that God was saying whatever Lamech's attitude and behavior was, it was a reflection of society in general in Enoch's day. Most people in that day were doing what they believed to be right in their own eyes. They had turned away from God and were involved in immorality and fornication and adultery and polygamy and pride and murder and violence. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus, uh, God came and plucked Enoch out during this time of social permissiveness. Now let's look at the second one. Um, I don't even know if this is a word, but it's the best word I could think of. <laughs> Scientific progressiveness. I don't know if that's a word. Kids, check with your teacher. It's in the Farrell Hardison Dictionary, though. Scientific progressiveness. Let's look at this. Not only was there social permissiveness, but there was this, there was this um, turning away from a dependence on God and turning toward a dependence on human knowledge and human ability. The Bible says in Genesis 4, 17, the last part of that verse, Cain. You remember Cain? Remember Cain in the book of Genesis? You know what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden? Raise Cain. Okay. All right. <laughs> Genesis 4, 17 says Cain was then building a city. Look at this. This is not in the, you, you know, we read the Bible and we just glance over stuff. Why? Nothing is in the Bible just to be there. Everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason, for a reason. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. Now this wasn't the same Enoch. This was another Enoch but he named it after his son Enoch. So it tells us that men were beginning to build these great metropolises and people were moving into these cities. In Genesis 4 and 22, you remember Lamech's wife, Zillah? You remember he had a wife, what was his other, the A? Adelaide or something like that, and Zillah, he had women from A to Z, okay. Um, and so, Zillah also had a son, and his name was Tubal-Cain, okay? And look what it says. Who forged all kinds of tools 
out of bronze and iron. So what we see here is man has been driven out of the Garden of Eden and now he has turned his back toward God and he is putting his ingenuity that God gave him and his mind that God gave him, he's, giving it, he's putting it to use by trying to create a synthetic artificial paradise because there is no more Garden of Eden for them. So man has started, who started in the Garden of Eden, has now moved into the city of sin. And man has turned again away from God and is now using his ideas and his knowledge and his ingenuity and creativity to create his own Garden of Eden. Does this remind you all of anything? Does this remind you of our day? As we look around at the things we build and the things we create, as man tries to build a paradise here on the earth because he will not follow God. God gave man the ability to come up with these ideas and the ideas we have and the beautiful things we see, the creativity of the people of Disney the creativity of the people that we see in Hollywood and that we see on our televisions. It's amazing the creativity and the ideas and the knowledge uh, that God has given man. But these things, listen to me, they were given to man so that man would serve God with these things. It was not altogether wrong, and it is not altogether wrong for you to use your abilities and your talents and your skills and your gifts to do things in the world, it's not altogether wrong, but man's ways at that time, as in our day, were not submitted to God. God, you know that many of you who serve God and come to church and you have your family serving God, you take the same skills that God has given you to bless the church and reach people for Christ, and then you go and make a living. You use those same skills, God lets you go out into the world and make a living with those. But I'm telling you, this is where we get messed up. It's when we begin to use our talents and gifts and abilities primarily for ourselves and to make a living and to have nice things in this world. I'm not against nice things and I'm not against success and I'm not against you having nice things and I'm not against you being blessed financially. My point is, remember that the primary reason for your gifts and talents and abilities and skills were that you might use them first to build his kingdom in this world. And the people said, the third thing that we see in Enoch's day, I couldn't get too creative with this when I tried to, but we see the social permissiveness. We see the scientific progressiveness. And now we see spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. We see the faith, listen to this now, that was given to Adam even after the fall God spoke to Adam, God loved Adam, God told Adam immediately after the fall, I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to provide a way back to me. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible that God would love us that way? So we see the faith that was delivered to Adam after the fall, and it was for this same faith that Abel was murdered by his own brother Cain. 
And now we see a rise. If you study those first five, six, seven chapters of Genesis, you see this rise of arrogance. You see this rise of humanism. And we'll talk about humanism more in a minute. But you see it taking place already in these early days of man. Let me show you. You, you get an idea of how bad it was when you go to Genesis 4.16. Watch this. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Look at that statement right there. Look at that statement. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. A lot of people dwell there when I'm preaching. Okay. So we're biblical in many ways here. Uh, on the east of Eden. Notice this, guys. Cain is not walking with God. Cain, the, the son of Adam and Eve, is not walking with God. When you read this, it's obvious he doesn't care anything anymore about God. The Bible says he went out from his presence. He went out from the presence of the Lord. You have that choice. You have that choice. You can go out from the presence of God anytime you want to. And you know what? I, I would not be afraid to say there may be some of you here right now, and I don't mean to offend, but you might be flirting with that very idea. I call you back. Come back. Come back. If you see someone walking out of the presence of God, reach out. Reach out to them. Bring them back. He doesn't care about God. He's decided to be his own little God. This is the spiritual environment that Enoch lived in. There was a contempt for God. Earlier we saw Lamech. Do you remember Lamech who was lifting his puny little fist in the face of God and basically saying to God, whatever you want me to do makes no difference to me. I don't care what you want me to do. Hey, listen to me. Do you see that in this world? Do you see that in this world? Do you see us now printing the, and I don't mean to get political here, but do you see us now printing the, the Pledge of Allegiance and under God now, now beginning to be left out of the Pledge of Allegiance? Kids saying the Pledge of Allegiance, but leaving that out. We see in our day a turning away from God the way we've never seen it. Now, now we were promised in the word of God that in the last days, two very diametrically different things would happen. He told us in the last days there would be a tremendous falling away, but he also said, I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh and there will be a great revival. I don't know about you, but I see it happening. I read and, and, and probably more than Millie wishes I would, but I read so much in the news, in the secular media, but I also read a lot of Christian media. And there are revivals going on all over the world. Miracles are happening. There's a revival going on in China right now. Being led by teenagers. Being led by teenagers. Their lives are being threatened. At the same time, we see revival breaking out in a place where they would kill you if they found you serving God. We see a falling away happening in a nation right here where you can worship God and love him anytime you want to, any way you want to. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it is my job as your pastor to call to your attention tonight that we are looking at the same kind of setting today that was in the day of Enoch. And Jesus raptured him. We know that it got bad because two chapters later in Genesis 6 and 5, look what it says. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. Can I ask you something? When God looks down now, you think he says the same thing? Yes. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I love to laugh. I love to have a good time. And I think the best advertisement for a Christian and bringing people to Christ is joy. Amen. But ladies and gentlemen, we got to face facts. And the facts are we are living now as it was, in my estimation, in the days of Enoch. Look at uh, Genesis 6-5. Let's read it through and through. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And God sent the flood. And these are the times of Enoch. But when God sent the flood, those who believed the message of salvation from Noah got on the boat and were taken out before tribulation came. That's my personal view of that happening in the Old Testament. I believe God recorded these things here in Genesis to say, when you see this kind of pride and rebellion, look up, because as I raptured Enoch, I will rapture you. Now, let me close this message very quickly by asking you to look at our day. Let's look more specifically at our day Let's look in the area of social permissiveness very quickly. A major crime figure recently boasted that theirs crime is a bigger business than the federal government. Crime is a bigger business than the federal government. Pornography alone is a $14 billion a year business. Can you imagine how much pornography has to be printed and distributed to make it a 14 billion, not million. You do understand a billion, don't you? It's a thousand millions. $14 billion a year in business. Even the streets of our own communities we live in right here in Wayne County. You can't go out like you used to, can you? You remember when, you know, I'm 53 years old. I remember when I was little, we lived in Selma. Selma, North Carolina, yeah. Anybody, y'all know Johnston County. We lived in Selma and would camp out in the backyard. And uh, we'd have a little tent and everything, and mom and dad thought we were asleep. About 30, 1.30 in the morning, we got on our bicycles and rode all over town. If my mom and dad are here tonight, I'll probably get a spanking before I leave. But there was nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to fear. I remember when we left, we never locked the house. Do y'all remember that? 
I remember we never locked the house and we didn't have air conditioning. We put fans in the window. Y'all remember that? And uh, there are children here going, did he come over on the Mayflower? Uh, I wanted to bring it home to you that, that we wouldn't dare. I, I don't know about you guys. I lock my car in my driveway now. I, 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 I make sure before I go to bed, I, I make sure everything's locked up and bolted down. And Newsweek magazine called violence an epidemic in America. Listen to this. This is Newsweek now. This is not some uh, like Christianity Today or something like that. This is Newsweek. Here's what was in the article. This time around, however, there is none of the old optimism proclaiming we know what the problems are and we have the solutions at hand. In other words, back in the good old days, we saw stuff, but we knew where it was coming from, how to deal with it, and how to cut it off and control it. This article says those days are over. The problems look more complex than any blue ribbon panel can solve. The solutions have never been more elusive. The police, already up against long odds, can't seem to find a way to do much better. The courts continue to be denounced while they disperse justice under trying conditions. The prisons are already filled to bursting, and that doesn't seem to have cut down on the clamoring for tougher sentences uh, or on the um, uh, crime rate itself. And then this article went on to say, another frightening difference in the crime picture today, they were comparing the crime picture today is the crime picture of the good old days. It says, life now seems pitifully cheap. Let me tell you where, where this whole life is cheap idea comes from. It comes from a belief, and some of you might find this hard to swallow. It comes from a belief in evolution. When you, when you believe in evolution, that morphs into humanism and all of a sudden life becomes cheap. Man is more than an animal. I believe that. I hope you believe that. Man is more than an animal. But when our children are being taught day after day after day that all they are is an animal and came from an animal and evolved into a human from an animal, then you begin to believe these things that you were taught and all of a sudden life becomes very, very cheap. And so out of that we have abortion. And we have other things that I'll talk about in a moment. Life becomes cheap. An assistant district attorney in one of the largest cities in America said this, law enforcement officials think they have witnessed a shift toward gratuitous murder. It used to be, Doug, you'll like this. Doug scared me one day. He came, put his finger in my side. We were at, I don't know where we were, coffee shop somewhere, probably. He said, your money or your life. And I thought about this when I, I almost gave him both right there. Um, but uh, it, it, said, it says in this article, it used to be your money or your life. Now it's your money and your life. Every big city has seen it. I'm reading out of this article. A small argument turns ugly. Guns are drawn and somebody dies because a stereo was played too loud. Or a clerk miscounted some change. The new attitude seems to be, what's the use of having a gun if you're not going to use it? And then this sentence comes up, and this is the pertinent sentence in this article. Such viciousness 
cries out for an explanation. Now, this is from a secular magazine. Such viciousness cries out for an explanation, but motive and cause remain as murky as ever. Here's what they're saying in that, in that article. We're, we're trying to find out why this has happened, and we're trying to find out why we have, we have degraded into this gratuitous crime and gratuitous murder, and there's, you're not murdering somebody so you can get something from them. You're just murdering them to murder them. They say, we don't know why this has happened. We called on our so-called experts, and, and we, they can't find the answer to this. And the, and the reason, and I'm going to sound like an old preacher here, an old old Bible preacher, because that's what I am. The reason they don't know is because you'll never get them to say the real cause. The real cause is S-I-N, sin. is spelled out beautifully, clearly, in the book of Genesis, first five, six chapters. Let me ask you something. What news media... What leading university is going to stand up and make this statement? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's the heart of the problem is the human heart. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The executive deputy chief of the Detroit Police Department said this. He said, I went to school for eight years to get my Ph.D. in criminology. It took me that long to learn that we don't know much of anything about why people do the things they do. No answers. You see, humans think they can come up with the answer to everything. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a day and we're not gonna think our way out of this one. We're not gonna study our way out of this one. Jesus is coming. He's coming. So what about scientific progressiveness in our day? Isn't it amazing how much we've learned and how foolish and ignorant we remain as humans? Isn't it amazing? I, I mean, I thought we could do everything, didn't you? And now we have a pipe in the, middle of, in the bottom of the ocean leaking oil and we don't know what to do. We don't know what in the world to do. We don't know how to fix it. Ladies and gentlemen, they are saying privately that they don't know if they will ever stop it. They showed today on the news that if this thing can't be stopped, oil will end up on the shores of this state and even in Europe based on how the water flows and all of that current stuff that they study. Oil from, from the, that's in the Gulf is going to end up in Europe because, listen to me, man doesn't have the answer to everything. He doesn't have the answer to everything. And God is showing us that. Back in Enoch's day, they were learning about the secrets of the earth. They were discovering these things and making things. They became creators and inventors of many things. But at the very, listen to this now, at the very same time that they were coming up with these inventions, and at the very same time that they were creating these tools and they were beginning to mine the earth and they were going to go in there and get all these minerals out. And, and you read, you remember I read those verses earlier? Cain, uh, I mean, yeah, Cain was building a city and, and then it talked about Zillah's son, uh, Tubal Cain. He was building, uh, he, he was making tools and he was forging. So, so for that time, it was high tech. That was talking about the high tech, cutting edge technology of that time. And in 
the middle, listen to me, in the middle of all this cutting edge inventions and high tech and all this stuff, the morality of the civilization was going down, 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 down. At the very same time, man's mind was being expanded and man was learning and man was creating and man was doing incredible, amazing things. Morally, he was going down the toilet. I'm talking about Enoch's day. Y'all thought, some of y'all thought I was talking about, I am talking about now. I am. I'm talking about Enoch's day and our day. Here, here's what we've come up with through scientific progress. Abortion. You know, you may be here tonight and go, I, I got to tell you something, Pastor. I've got a whole different idea on abortion than you do. You know what? I got a feeling if you were in a doctor's office when an abortion was performed and you sat right there and watched it on that screen when they inserted that vacuum cleaner in there and ripped that little body apart and pulled it out of that woman, I got a feeling you'd have a different idea. I'm sorry. Me chill. Back in uh, that day, in Enoch's day, they were going down here, we're going euthanasia. There's discussion um, about when people get a certain age and they can't contribute anymore. We just need to cut off all life support, all medications, all everything. And I'm, I'm not trying to get political here, but ladies and gentlemen, this, this, this health care deal, it's got it right in there. It's right in there. How, how that a person will be looked at and they'll be uh, evaluated and be, uh, it'll be determined whether they're worthy to have a, a breathing tube or whether they're worthy to have medication or whether they're, and, and there's already been talk and even the highest leaders of our nation have said just make them comfortable and just let them, ride, just let them go into eternity. When you start treating life like that, you start developing babies through through test tubes and, and for the purpose of genetic engineering so you can create a perfect little race. All of this stuff, guys, is out on the table. All of this stuff is happening and it's being funded by our tax dollars. And I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but you've got to face what's happening. Human cloning is still being discussed. I'm creating some kind of human or semi-human, only God knows, all of this in the name of scientific progress. Let me close with this. What about spiritual pride in our day that Enoch had? We got it in our day? Absolutely. You know what the leading religion in America is today? You know what it is? It's humanism. It's humanism. Um, humanism is when man turns away from God and also turns away from idols and stands in front of a mirror and begins to worship himself. Um, celebrities today are the evangelist. Celebrities, people like Tom Cruise and Oprah Winfrey and 
John Travolta talking about Scientology and the human potential and what's inside of you and all that you need to be everything you'll ever be is not from something outside of you, but it's already inside of you. You have deity in you. You are a God. Turn inward, turn inward, look inward. Everything you need is inward. Ladies and gentlemen, that is nothing in the world but idolatry, the worship of self. The Bible says it is not in man to know the way he should go. We have to have direction. Another word for Scientology humanism is really atheism, but they don't like the word atheism because everybody knows what that means. So they choose this word humanism because it sounds sort of like the word, it's sort of a noble word. It sounds kind of like, like the word humanitarianism, you know, being good to humans. But humanism is a way of doing God's business and leaving God out. So we've been talking about Enoch and his times. And even though Enoch was a contemporary of Adam, and even though Enoch lived in a time when there was much spiritual truth being declared as there is today, and while there was much uh, uh, happening spiritually as there is today, he was also living in a world that was corrupting more and more and going down, 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 swifter and swifter to the end of the age. And in the midst of that, God raptured him. My message to you tonight is, I don't know when the rapture is gonna happen. I believe in the rapture. I believe um, the scriptures are clear. Um, I don't know when it is. But I believe it's my job. I believe I will stand before God and give an answer one day for what I told you. I could have got up here and preached a message tonight that would have made us all laugh. I've done that before. We had a lot of laughter a few weeks ago talking about all those bulletin bloopers. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you see, we have to sober up and we have to look at the truth. And the truth is Jesus is coming. Now what I urge you to do is get right. Get right yourself. And then begin to love your family and shine the light in front of your family and the people you work with and your friends. Jesus could come next week. He could come next year. He could come the next 10 years, the next 20, 50, 100 years. I don't know when Jesus is coming. But when I read my Bible, it is my opinion that it is very, very, very near. And I call on you to consider it. Consider this message tonight. Consider it in your heart. And let's get right with God. And let's be ready on the day that that trumpet sounds, the shout of the archangel. Let's be ready when that happens, that delight will fill our heart as we leave this earth to be with him. It's real. I know it doesn't sound real, but it's real. It's more real than what you see around you here tonight. It's real. Father, I have declared what you have given me this night at the bridge. I'm sure there are people sitting here who are saying, I'm not sure about all that. That's fine. That's okay. God, if you will just take what I've declared from your word, and I've tried to just bring everything out of your word tonight. And God, I just ask you to help them to consider Jesus said that we are to look, we are to watch. 
What does it mean that we're to watch? It means I believe that we're to study. We're not gonna find the date. We're not gonna find a definite date that we'll know. It isn't, that's not your plan, but we need to know that it could happen at any moment. It is very near. And we believe Enoch teaches us this. If there's someone here tonight who isn't sure whether they're ready to meet God, let me just lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're sitting here tonight, your eyes are closed, your head is bowed. And maybe you're sitting here tonight going, I, I'm ready to make things right. Other things have been happening in my life, other things, and now I come to church here tonight and, and this message, and I know it's God talking to me. I know it's God, so I'm ready, pastor, to, to make this decision. What do I do? Tell me what to do. You pray a prayer of sincerity. You pray a prayer deep from within your heart. You recognize that you're lost. You recognize that you cannot be made right with God by anything that you do yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't do enough good things to be right with God. You have to come to Jesus. You have to ask Jesus to come into your life to save you, to forgive you, to live in you. So I want everybody tonight, even if you're a Christian, I want you to pray this out loud so we will not cause any embarrassment for that person who may be praying it to receive Christ. And let's pray this out loud tonight and let's make it deep, deep from our heart. Will you pray this with me out loud? Dear Lord, you gave your son. He willingly came. He died in my place on the cross of Calvary. They buried him. He rose from the dead. Because he lives, I too can live if I will receive him into my heart. Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, I invite you now come into my life, take over my life, wash away my sin with your precious blood. Live in me. I dedicate my life to you. Lead me, guide me, teach me as I serve you from this day on. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking, I want you to testify now if God has saved you, if you've prayed that prayer and you prayed it believing, you might say, well, I didn't feel anything. The Bible doesn't say you'll feel anything. The Bible says you pray believing. You confess your sin. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need Jesus. And I want Jesus in my life. You pray that. You receive Jesus. He will come into your heart. If you prayed that tonight and you trust that God is a God of his word and he has come into your heart tonight by this prayer, I want you to slip up your hand and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this tonight. We thank you for these lives. Now as we go, help us to consider this message from your word, not to go out and slough it off and say, well, that was interesting but let us go out and let it bear down upon us, God, 
as we process it in our heart and mind with the help of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, aren't you glad you come to a church like this? Amen, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming, guys.